And then we have the servant, and that's exactly what the servant is, is the servant. And then we have the last one, which is the, the steward, which is what? The overseer, administrator of the house. Now, there's a key word in this study that everyone in all the people of God's house need to be aware of and understand. And what is that key word? Laos, that's God's people. There's another word I'm looking for here that we need to be aware of in understanding our, our role as stewards and our role as God's people, what is the key word? Okay, accountability. That all of God's people, not just... Now, there was a study done in the last couple of weeks on the clergy laity in which God's house totally wipes away the separate uh, uh, status of the clergy and the laity that came through after, you know, in the Dark Ages and through the Catholic Church in Rome. And it shows us that we are all, what, the laos of God. We're all God's people. And so we need to keep in mind that all of God's people are accountable. All of the members of God's house are accountable. All the stewards are accountable, not just the pastors, not just the leaders, not just the workers, but all the members of God's house. Last week then, Pastor Mitchell did a study on the called out people of God the chosen ones. And he brought out uh, mainly in his subject uh, last week on the remnant. And I wonder if someone can give us a little insight recapping what he mentioned about the remnant last week. Anybody at all? Yes. What's left? All right, what, uh, uh, what does it mean now? What are we dealing with? A people called out from a people? All right. A believing minority. All right, so we get a picture of what the remnant is. A people left. Use the illustration as the farmer leaves out precious seed for the next year's planting. So how does the remnant then relate to us? What was he getting across last week to us as God's people? Okay, there's election, the election of God. You're, you're on track there with us, amen, and the uh, God, residue of God's people that God calls out. Well, God's people are always the remnant people or the minority. God's people are not the majority of the world, but rather we're the residue of, of what's left out of the world during the person or whatever. We are the remnant people, God's people. Okay, good. You see down, uh, all right, go ahead. Okay. All right. He said that there's a lot of professing people in religion that uh, professing Christians that uh, are really not believers in the true sense of the word. And so we're dealing with the Bible shows us continually a people in a people that God has that he calls unto himself that are a believing minority of people. Now, I don't know most here, uh, the general understanding of the remnant has in most people's mind, if they don't get into a study in it, is simply uh, so many of the Jewish people that during the tribulation are the, uh, will be uh, brought out of the Jewish nation. There'll be a remnant that will be used of God in a tremendous way during the tribulation. Many people picture that as the remnant. But as you begin to look at it, 
you begin to see that the, uh, the remnant and the Gentile are a, are, are a uh, uh, the remnant rather is uh, both Jews and Gentiles, the people that have uh, believers that have been called out to God by His election, by His grace, that are following God. And exactly what we are today, isn't that right? A remnant of people, the people that hold the banner high, the people that will not compromise, the people that will take the stand and will be used of God in their generation to uh, carry forth the precious seed of the gospel through to the next generation or through to the, full, the purpose of God being done. So that's uh, the remnant is what we are, the called out people of God. All right, so uh, uh, as the called out people of God brings us to the study we're going to do today, and that is there's a special characteristic of these remnant of people in the Bible. There's a special characteristic of them, and that is that they are a pilgrim people. And you begin to study, and we're going to take a study through that, and we find out that the faithful to God all through the Bible have been a, a pilgrim people that had a right understanding of their pilgrimage. Hebrews 11:13, and we're going to use that as our launching off scripture, then we'll go from there. But uh, uh, God's people, and to have a correct perspective upon God's house and a correct perspective upon our responsibility to God's house, and uh, our position in God's house, then we have to have a correct perspective of God's people as a called out people, and not only called out, but a pilgrim people, because we've come from somewhere and we're going somewhere. If you'll hold Hebrews 11:13, let's get our, our key text for this subject, which is Hebrews 3, 1 to 6. If somebody will get that for us, Hebrews 3, 1 to 6, and, uh, and then 1 Timothy 3, 15. 1 Timothy 3.15. All right, Randy back there. All right, we have 1 Timothy. These are the key scriptures uh, for our text. Hebrews 3, 1 to 6, first of all. So we see the very thought right there that he brought out last week of the called out and the uh, uh, remnant of people. If we hold fast to the end, then we're going to be God's house and God's people. All right, then the next one is uh, 1 Timothy 3, 15. Okay, so we're dealing this morning with God's people as a pilgrim people. Hebrews 11, 13 says these words, talking about the great patriarchs of faith, said, These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. As you begin, as we see our study, all of God's faithful people that have been uh, open to what God wanted to do in the world, in their life, that have been used of God in a tremendous way down through the text uh, for the purpose of God, have been a people that had this mentality that we just read, a people that realized they were called out and they were a pilgrim people looking for what? A city whose builder and maker is God. And so let's begin then by uh, our evangelist last week mentioned the... Uh, uh, the landmarks in the Bible. So let's go back to Genesis 12, 1 to 3. If someone will get that for us. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. All right. And uh, Genesis 47, 9. Someone will get that. Genesis 47, 9. Hebrews 11, 8 to 10. 
Hebrews 11, 8 to 10, Acts 7, 1 to 6, all right? And then Brother Van Dyke, Exodus 19, uh, 1 to 6, all right? And we will uh, take a look at what this has to say. All right, we're going back to Genesis, same scripture we used last week. The landmark for God's people begins with Abraham. Abraham is the one that God chooses and begins to deal with, and so we begin to see that in order for Abraham to become the great family that God promised him, the great people, in whom all the uh, peoples of the earth would be blessed, there's something that he had to do. And that thing that he had to do was he had to come forth from the land he was in and become a pilgrim for the rest of his life. Reading Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now, now the Lord has said unto Abraham, Yes, now a blessing that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Okay, it's important that we get this understanding that before he could be the, the great people that he had to become a pilgrim. Why couldn't God bless him where he was at? Why did he have to leave the scene that he was in? to take the journey uh, to look for a land that he never in his natural self uh, was going uh, to inherit. And we see that uh, uh, it was a command of God because God was giving a landmark. God was driving a stake that his people forever after were going to follow the pattern and the principles laid down in the life of uh, the first patriarch, uh, Abraham. He settled, the Bible says, in the land of Cana. He went there, he finally got there, he settled in the land, but it makes it clear to us that he dwelt in what? How many know what he lived in? Tents and tabernacles with Isaac and with Jacob. And he never personally possessed uh, that land. Uh, and he was a stranger the whole time. Genesis 47 verse 9. Okay, because of the famine, Jacob has brought his 11 sons into the land of Pharaoh, the land of Egypt, where his son Joseph is. And he's standing before Pharaoh. And he's telling Pharaoh these words. He's saying that, uh, he says, the days of my pilgrimage have been 130 years, but they are not as long as the pilgrimage of my father, Abraham and Isaac. So here we are the third generation later, and they're still a pilgrim people. They still uh, are living in tents, uh, and they still have not settled down into the land in the sense of the word uh, of living. Here's what Clark's commentary says about Jacob. It says, Jacob always lived a migratory or wandering life. And it says that in different parts of Cana, Mesopotamia, and Egypt, scarcely ever at rest. The pilgrim is a person that took a journey, long or short, on some religious account, submitting during the time to many hardships and privations. A more appropriate term could not be conceived to express the life of Jacob and the motive that induced him to live such a life. Here he was his whole life living in tents, a pilgrim in the land of promise, the land of Cana, but yet uh, we see for his entire life uh, he never became more than a pilgrim. Hebrews then 11, 8 to 10.
Let's cons look at the revelation that this man had. Here he is, back here the very beginning, and he's walking through the land of Cana, literally expecting God's kingdom. That's what, exactly what he said. He is expecting God's kingdom. Abraham is expecting uh, the city that God has built. Exactly what we are looking for today, the people of God, the Bible says, Revelations, John saw the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. Amen. Adorned as a, a bride uh, uh, for her husband. And so here we see that uh, this man was looking for a city. All of his pilgrimage upon this earth, his eyes were looking, his wandering throughout the land was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. We see Acts 7, verses 1 to 6. Abraham wandered. God told him, by faith, I'm going to give you this land. And it says, as yet he had received no child and no inheritance in that land. And God promised him that his, the nation that kept his people bondage would be judged and they would inherit the land. How many know what land the Christians, the people of God, are going to inherit? How many know what Cana represents? The promised land. What does the promised land represent? Heaven? All right. All right. Mark, did Okay. All right. The, all, it does represent heaven. We're looking for that city. But how many know where God's people are going to rule and reign? Where? All over. All over. I like that better than the earth. Amen. <laughs> Who knows where? <laughs> uh, but, we, but we're so... In other words, God's people are sojourning in a land that ultimately is going to be God's people. The Bible says there's going to be what? A new heaven and a new earth. That's exactly what Cana was when God finally gave it to him. He cleaned it out and made it all new. That's why they had to destroy all of the old. That's why they couldn't leave the people there. That's why God said you have to totally wipe out their high places, anything that represents the old. You have to tear down uh, their images. You have to, the children, everybody had to be wiped out. Why? Because that represents, my friends, the cleansing and what's going to take place when one day God's people are ultimately going to inherit all of God's creation and rule and reign with God upon earth forever and ever. Amen. And be God's people throughout uh, eternity. That's just a type that we have before us. We're on it now, and we're becoming and taking our journey. It ultimately won't come, of course, until Christ does the work. But it, we're by faith, and I'm getting ahead of myself, so I better stop there. I don't want to get too far ahead. Uh, I just get excited about that kind of stuff. Amen. So we see that it's faith. They couldn't see it. They had nothing as far as title deeds to what God had promised them. Uh, everything looked hopeless for you. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all three uh, endured patiently, traveled throughout that country with uh, a minority, uh, with all of these armies, all of these enemies around about them in a land that it looked like they could never get. And they stayed unsettled. Uh, but what this did, by faith, it assured them of a permanent home in the future that God continually promised them, if you'll do this, you're going to have a permanent home in the future. This is going to be your land forever, and I'm going to give it unto your seed forever. Uh, and they looked for this city, friend, exactly like we as God's people are looking for a city. Now, Israel, let's go another step. Here's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Israel, as a nation, had the very same lifestyle. 
Let's look at some more scriptures. Uh, Israel had the same lifestyle, Exodus 19, 1 through 6, the very beginning of their journey, three or four months out of Egypt. And here God appears to them, tells them, I'm going to be your people. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. And they become the laos of God. And when they do, they're on a journey. Exodus 19, 1 through 6. Okay, the key thought here is God is giving them at this point the covenant. As you begin to study on, it's around this time they begins to give them the covenant and different things. And, and what is taking place? That God is making them, all of them, priests of God. And God is making them a people unto himself, out of the people. All the earth is mine, he says. But now I'm going to choose you people to be my people. That's the remnant of God we see. And then he tells them that this is happening, friend. It shows us while they are on a pilgrimage. They are on a journey. They're not in Cana, and they're not in Egypt. They're in between. They're taking a journey on their way. And it gives us a type uh, of the people of God, friend, that God always deals with people uh, in a pilgrim method, a pilgrim way, and God's people are always a pilgrim uh, people. Now, the wilderness gives us many examples. And all through the Bible, the wilderness uh, gives us examples, and it plays an important role in uh, the Bible and in our lifestyle. The wilderness experience isn't just there to fill a couple books. How many believe that? But it has tremendous examples for the New Testament church of which uh, they were a type. Hebrews 3.8, if somebody will get that for us. Hebrews 3.8, someone else, all right. And then uh, Acts 7.41, someone else get that, uh, all right. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.5, Randy. And John 3.14, someone will get John 3.14. John 6.31 to 33, all right. And John 6, 49 to 51. Back, all right, and then Jeremiah 2, 2. We've got a lot of scriptures here. And Isaiah 4, 7, 41, 17. Isaiah 41, 17. And one more, Numbers 9, 18. Someone get Numbers, Randy? Numbers 9, 18. All right, uh, so let's look at some of the examples. What would be the main example, just the one that's mentioned the most about the wilderness experience? What's mentioned more than anything else about the wilderness experience Relating to us. What are we cautioned most of all about the wilderness experience? Don't turn back, all right? Okay, not aligning yourself with the people. All right, listen to God, not hard our hearts. So the general thing we're talking about, the main example we get out of the pilgrimage people uh, is a warning against disobedience. Uh, and we begin to continually, we're given example after example of their disobedience, and it's a continual in the New Testament, a warning that we are not to be disobedient to what God is wanting to do in and through His people. Hebrews 3, 8. We see the same thing. He's saying, harden not your hearts. He's telling New Testament people, he's going to pull an example out of a pilgrimage that the Old Testament people went on, so don't harden your hearts like they did. In, in that time and they went through the wilderness. The next one is Acts 7.41. Picture what they did. They made an idol. They rejoiced in the works of their own hands. In other words, they, they weren't looking to their God, a creator, as their source, as their God, as uh, the one from whom all blessings flow. They begin to look at their own means, their own source of supply, and their own uh, uh, humanism. The next one uh, is, uh, that we want is 1 Corinthians 10, 5. 
Okay, so we begin to see that uh, there's a lot of type in this to what we are today. Going on next, we see that the wilderness was a special time of the extended grace of God. How many times did God want to wipe them out completely? And we find that the wilderness experience was a time of extended grace, and it pointed to the saving grace of Christ Jesus, which was to come. John 3, 14. Whoever has that? Okay, John 6, 31 to 33. Okay, what I'm wanting us to see as we're laying this foundation on the pilgrim people is how we are interrelated with Israel in their wilderness journey. He says they got manna from heaven, the material manna from heaven. They went out and gathered it every morning. But he said that wasn't the bread from heaven. The bread from heaven is the Son of God that comes down and giveth everlasting life uh, unto people. Then John 6, 49 to 51. So God's people today ultimately are still living off the manna. How many believe that? See, we're living off the real manna. Jesus Christ, and he's the one. We're, we're still on a pilgrimage. We're still going somewhere, and we're still feeding off that heavenly manna and that river of living water. That followed them. Uh, Paul said that, that river, which was uh, the rock that was Christ, followed them through the wilderness, and they continually received their nourishment and water. And exactly the same thing in the New Testament light is we're still a pilgrim people, we still must understand that as God's people, as we shall see. Uh, and friend, we are still living off that heavenly bread, and we're still drinking of that heavenly water, uh, and God is still our source uh, of supply. And so during a pilgrimage, when you're traveling, especially through a wilderness, uh, men then uh, are desperately dependent upon God. This is the whole idea that God kept them wandering because it kept them dependent upon God. They did not plow the land. They did not reap a harvest every year. They did not have the blessing of, of all of uh, what the people there could do and have their harvest in their barns filled. Every day they had to depend upon God. God was setting a precedent for people, friend, and an example of a people that he wants that look to God as their God, their source, dependent upon him in their pilgrimage uh, through the life uh, in which they live. And listen to the, the next two scriptures, Jeremiah 2.2. 2. He says, when you were in the wilderness, you went after me. When you were dependent upon me every day, you went after me. When you were young, meaning young out of Egypt, you went after me and as, as a spouse, as a, uh, as a, uh, I don't know how you'd explain that, amen. <laughs> Somebody may know a better way to explain that one. But anyways, he says, you went after me and you were hungry after me because you were dependent upon me. You ever notice that people, friend, the more or less dependent they get upon God, somehow the less... They are drawn in their relationship to God. There's something about people. The more that we get secure, the more that people get locked into their positions and their possessions and 
and all that they have and, and they have this and they don't have to worry here and they have this they don't have to depend upon God for their daily bread so to speak uh, and uh, they don't have to depend upon God for their healing and, and that's one I believe that in many times is uh, one of the reasons why you see such tremendous healings in some of the third world countries uh, there's no other source many times they just come oh, yeah, he preached I might as well take the word and do it but uh, we have, uh, you notice that as people like the Israel, they got into the land, they begin to be blessed, they begin to plow the land, begin to have their crops, uh, and they begin to turn from God because they didn't need him every morning. They didn't have to go out every morning and get their manna. And they had lost their perspective. And by losing their perspective as pilgrims, and God is their source, they lost their relationship and their purpose in earth and that God wanted to do in their life. All right, the next one is Isaiah 41, 17. See, he's saying there's something about people when they're poor and needy and they're needing water and they're telling them they don't have any water, he says, and they seek me, I won't fail, fail them and I won't forsake them. It's a prophetic time, but it's also showing, friend, uh, that something about a pilgrim people wandering in a wilderness uh, and recognizing their journey as wilderness wanderers, uh, that they're relying upon God and they're continually pointing their eyes towards what they're looking for and towards the source of their supply and what they're in need of. The rhythm of their journey. Think of this. Their journey was controlled their journey was turned on and turned off so to speak they left and they came by what numbers uh, 918 he says at the command of God they moved as long as they were pilgrims, they were willing to move at the command of God. As long as they lived in tents, they were willing to pull them up and go. As long as they weren't tied to the land, they were willing when God's cloud moved to just jump up and move. But there's something about people when they start getting tied to the land and tied to the locale and tied to this and tied to that, when God's Spirit says move, they have a harder time moving. Amen, Walls. You might as well say man or oh me anyways because uh, it's true. Even when they went into the land of Cana and God gave it to them, God, as we studied in stewardship one time, only gave them leaser rights. He continually told them, the land is mine. You're not going to sell it. Uh, you are sojourners with me on this land. And God used time after time many ways to show them, uh, friend, even when they were in Israel, they were still a wandering people. And uh, the whole study of Israel... You can see them in, in the land of Canaan. It belongs to them. But in the whole study, the main thing that comes out, Israel was a wandering people. And friend, even though they're in the land uh, uh, of promise, we've seen it. Traveled continually. Let's stop here and uh, for just a moment and see if there's any input anybody had before we finish this portion of it. Pilgrim people, God's people. In God's people was another people. How many know the other people that was in, in God? Here's God's people. How many know there was a, a time when God called a people in that people to be his people? How many know who those people were? Remnant, all right, but there's a word for the name of the tribe. Judah? No. Levites. All right? 
Israel failed, right? To be the people that God wanted to be. So God called a people in a people, the tribe of Levi. They were to continue the idea of a pilgrim people even when Israel went into Cana. Now follow me. Israel went into Cana. Everybody inherited land but who? The Levites. Everybody got their portion but the Levites did not get any land. The Bible says that the Lord was their inheritance, right? The purpose of this was to keep the idea and the principle of a pilgrim people, even when they're stationary in Cana, have their land and their dwellings. God had a people in a people that had no land, had no inheritance on this earth. Their inheritance was going to be a spiritual inheritance that God was going to give them. And this kept the type of the pilgrim people continually all through the Bible. Jeremiah 35 gives us an illustration uh, later on in the years of a group of people uh, called the Rechabites. Now, Israel has settled on the land. They've been disobedient to God. They have rebelled against God. And God uses Jeremiah as a prophet to reprove them. In other words, they've settled down, got comfortable in the land. And God uses a tribe that uh, had journeyed with them that were not descendants of Abraham, but more likely descendants of Moses' father-in-law, uh, Jethro. And so we see that uh, the, the Rechabites, the Bible says, I'm not going to read I'm going to tell you the Clark's commentary comment on it so rather than read the whole chapter. God commanded Jeremiah to go to the Rechabites, a group taken a refuge in Jerusalem from the Chaldean army. Now this is year, 250 years later. And it says, Jeremiah was to try their obedience to the command of their ancestor father, Jonadab. And it says, God used them to reprove Israel. Jonadab had told and required his children and descendants to abide faithful to the custom of the forefathers. They were to live in tents, nourish off their flock, not to live off the land, and only be sojourners and live a patriarchal life. And then it says uh, that they were to live in tents as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as strangers and pilgrims all the time in Israel and uh, be determined, he taught them, to look for a place uh, that was eternal, that had endless uh, foundations that was made by God. Now, he told his children to do that. 250 years later, they're still living in tents. They've had to come into Jerusalem because of the enemy, but they're even in Jerusalem. They have said, we're not going to drive our tent stakes too deep. Because this is what we're called to do, to live in Jerusalem and to live uh, off the land. And God used them to reprove Israel because Israel had been disobedient to the pilgrim mentality uh, and they had got so tied to the land that God many times had to drive them off the land to show them uh, that it's God's land, not theirs, and he's not going to let them get settled into a land uh, because there's a different purpose God has in God's people. You see, God called a pilgrim people and this Rechabites kept, again, the same remnant going through the line of a people that were a pilgrim in a people that had an understanding of God's purpose and did not get locked to worldly possessions too strong that they could not be obedient to God. All right, any comment where we're at today? Right, they're also, they were Gentiles, right? And it's a type of the Gentiles and it's a type of the pilgrimage, right? The grace of God, right? Okay, you're right. That's for sure. 
A lot easier to move when we lived in a 27-foot travel trailer than it is now. <laughs> Here. True. That could have spiritual Im implications there and also for the natural tribe of Israel. But, well, it, it's, it applies, uh, uh, it can apply both ways. You see, uh, the Israel, there is going to be a remnant saved out of Israel. We see that in the Bible, it's clear. We don't, that's not a part of our study, but there is going to be, out of all of the nations of Israel, there's going to be a remnant of people that are going to uh, be saved. And then also it's, it talks about the day and time which we are living. God's people are a remnant people. Out of all of the tribes of the earth, all of the uh, spiritual uh, Gentiles and all that, there's going to be a, a portion of people that are going to be God's residue, God's people that are going to be, and I think we'll cover that a little bit more as we go along, uh, a people that are genuinely going to be saved to serve God. Okay, we're, we're hitting down to where we're getting to now. Uh, the mentality for God's people in the day and time which we live. Friend, we're in a disobedient time when God's people are just as disobedient as we're in the wilderness. And this is what our study is, is, is coming down on as our brother brought out. You see, we're heading down to God's children of Israel got disobedient when they got to the land. They got so tied down to the, all the different things, the religions, the, uh, everything that was there in the land uh, that God had given them that God had to literally drive them out of the land to show them time and time again, let the enemy override them to continually remind them as we'll see to learn that their existence as a people was not bound to the soil, not bound to the place, not bound to the locale, but it was bound in God's dealing with his people however God wanted to deal with his people. So uh, we're beginning to come to a point now that God has mentality we're going to have if we're going to be obedient to God. Well, we understand it. That happened through uh, uh, Saul and different ones because uh, they, they were not doing what God commanded them to do. They were not going. We know that they, they were staying in Jerusalem, right there. And there was one church for the first uh, nine, ten years of the early church, only one church. That's all there was, the Jerusalem church. No more churches were planted for the first ten years or so, or longer than that. And it wasn't until persecution came that they got scattered and churches started popping up everywhere. So it's the same thing. They didn't have the idea, they didn't have the revelation of the Gentiles, of course, but then they didn't have the understanding of God's people or to be a scattered people, scattered throughout the earth. Amen. I think that there, there would be a lot there as far as, uh, you know, uh, our own Christian walk, you know. The, you know, they're not claiming the promises that God had for them, and that's the type of a lot of Christians. I don't know, if, you know, how to tie it in right now with where I'm at. You know, okay, let's look at the New Testament. The same idea. This is what we've got. This is why we've taken so much time in the Old Testament to see, understand. They're wondering now. Let's bring it to the New Testament. The same idea is in the New Testament. The same type of lifestyle is in the New Testament. The Bible continually, and those that are faithful to God, the apostles. The people of God that were faithful to God considered life as a time of what? Exile. I'm going to read 1 Peter, the second chapter. And we find that those that were faithful... Now, we're not talking about a people that just live in caravans like gypsies. We're not trying to get across that God's people th this morning are to live in uh, caravans and God's people are to just travel all over the country from commune to commune and place to place. But we're talking about a spiritual a mentality 
that has to be in the church of Jesus Christ and his people if we are going to be obedient to God in the last days. And if we're going to accomplish what has to be accomplished for God, then uh, as a people we have to understand this. First Peter, the second chapter and the fourth verse, he says these words, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, you also as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone elect precious, and that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, that's the remnant, uh, he is precious, but unto them which are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumbleth at the word, uh, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him which hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. Same place we read in Exodus. Uh, he brought them out of the land uh, of Egypt there at Zion. Uh, he began to, the wilderness of Zion. He told them, you're going to be my people from now on if you'll obey me but now the people of God which have not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy dearly beloved I beseech you as what strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust that war against the soul so he says dearly beloved I beseech you as strangers and as pilgrims look with me then to the first chapter the 17th verse if somebody will get that same book first uh, Peter 1 17 all right, over here. And then uh, Philippians 3.20. Someone over on uh, Philippians 3.20. And then uh, Exodus 19.5 again. Uh, that's scripture I want. Exodus 19.5. If somebody will read that for me. Exodus 19.5 and Leviticus 25.23. And we'll see the New Testament line. All right, 1 Peter 1.17. Pass the time of what? Your sojourning. He said, this is the New Testament. We are sojourners on the earth as the people of God. Then we see Philippians 3.20. Okay, the New Testament takes this attitude of life for God's people from the examples that we have read in the Old Testament. The attitude the New Testament church has comes exactly from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the people of Israel. Uh, and so uh, for this aspect of life, and this is related now to God's house as stewards uh, in God's house. And we begin to see this in Exodus 19, 5. Okay, he begins to say, all the earth is mine. If you will obey me, a pilgrim people, if you will follow my commandments, I will make you my people out of all of the earth. So we begin to see God's house in the earth is a people that are obedient to God, that are called out by God, that are a pilgrim people like Israel. Then we see Leviticus 25, 23. He said, the land will not be sold forever. The land is mine. You are strangers and sojourners with me. Talking about Israel in the land of, in, in the land of Cana where they dwelt. Now turn with me to 1 Chronicles uh, 
the uh, uh, 29th chapter and the 10th through the 15th verse and we begin to see this is the motivation for obedience. The one thing that causes God's people to be disobedient in their giving, disobedient in their lifestyle, disobedient in going where God wants them to go, and doing what God wants them to do is because they have the wrong attitude as a pilgrim people upon this earth. They have made Prescott their home. They have made uh, uh, this earth their locale. And uh, they are so tied, their money, their bank account is their source. They have gotten so tied to this earth that God cannot pry them loose to accomplish what he wants. Now, our brother uh, mentioned, Brother Dell, that one of the reasons God's using young, there, there's a, a number of reasons for that. He'll use anybody to let him, but uh, there's a number of reasons perhaps. But one of the reasons is uh, a young person is not so deep-rooted many times uh, that if they get saved in Boston, they don't have no problem many times moving here if God wants them here. You see what we're talking about? They can just, you know, they just throw their junk in the car and take off. Now, I'm not saying God always wants us to be that way. Mark Hurley moved out here with a backpack and ended up taking a whole uh, semi-truck almost back to Boston. Amen. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it changes when you uh, settle down a while. But nevertheless, uh, we see that there's a mentality about this that it is destroying the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have preachers that God is uprooting. Uh, you know that more and more Brother Mitchell predicts it amen since he's taken the step of faith that he has uh, that he, he's looking for more and more preachers to do like the Mastons and, and Harris to leave churches where they have got roots and where they have are happy where they're uh, God's blessing them and to see them uh, when God speaks get up and go off to some country that they don't know nothing about to go preach the gospel see this is what the pilgrim mentality is See, we're not tied to the land, the locale. We're tied to God's dealings with his people on earth and what he wants to accomplish. So here's what uh, uh, is the greatest hindrance to the people of God accomplishing the purpose of God that he wants to do in the world. And so First Chronicles shows us something about that. The 29, verse 10. Wherefore, David, they're building the tabernacle of God. People have brought a ma- uh, just a lot of money. And he says, Blessed the Lord before the, all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. In thine hand is power and might. In thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able... Now listen to this to offer so willingly after this sort, for all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given to thee. Look at what he's saying. He says, For we are strangers before thee, and sojourners. We are as all our fathers, and the days of the, on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. David's conception and Israel, this is what gave them the ability to be obedient when God said, I want to build it. When he began to build the tabernacle, this is what gave them the, the ability to be obedient in their giving and in serving God is because of the mentality that they had at that point. Uh, everything we're given, God, has come from you. We're just giving back to you what you gave to us. And a mentality that we're strangers. Nothing here belongs to us at all. Nothing. We're just stewards in your house. It's all, you're the Lord of that. You own the house. And we're just stewards in that house. It all belongs to you anyways. Amen. So it begins to tie down to us, and this is the motivation for their obedience. And you see, it's only when we have the right perspective 
from as pilgrims can we recognize our position and responsibility in the kingdom of God and the church is tempted to forget how many believe that the church right now saints is disobedient now, I'm not talking about I'm just saying the church in the world today is disobedient because the church is not movable not mo- mobile the church just uh, is, is a, if you can't get finances many times out of it can't get anything out of it can't get people to go preach the gospel foreign lands and all that we're talking about right here first Again, uh, so bringing us down now to where we're living. We're not talking about so not having possessions, not having being blessed. We're talking about an attitude of pilgrim people. And friend, we are dealing with God, not with the earth, not with uh, the, the land itself. We're not tied to that. We are tied to God's dealing with us as a people. This perspective cannot come on our own. Where our, our sight is too narrow. We can't see it. It can only come as we see that we belong to a people that for many generations have been and experienced a pilgrimage. We are interlinked with Abraham of old. And our family of who we are a people has been a pilgrim people down through the ages. And only as we see this can we live with this kind of attitude uh, and as we see the blessing of God in this kind of life. I'll tell you, friend, if I had a choice of being Israel and Canaan or Israel in the wilderness, I think I'd have took the wilderness. You see, as we see the blessing of a pilgrim people, how God blessed Abraham as he was a pilgrim, how God blessed the patriarchs as they were pilgrims, God blessed his people and the early church, all that we see, friend, uh, the pilgrim is not a passive, withdrawn person from the world. He is not a person that's not involved in business of the world uh, and all of this, but he's a person that recognizes the the Cairo or the the time of God, the appointed time of God, and involves himself during his pilgrimage in what God is doing in that particular time in the world. See, God's doing particular things in the world only as the church is mobile enough to see what God is doing and then to move into what God is doing and not so be so tied down to what we're doing can we be a part of what God is doing in the world today. This is exactly the mentality of our congregation, the mentality of our pastor as he sees what's happening in the Orient and with the, as he sees what's happening in Asia and the masses of people that are beginning to find Christ. One brother that's coming to be our conference speaker, I wrote a letter to him this week and received a, a letter from him and then wrote a reply. He said he was just in uh, one of the, in uh, Brazil where they had 50,000 people a night. The Assemblies of God organization have grown by one million people, one million converts in the, in the last two and a half years. So we're dealing with masses of people, friend, uh, and only as God's people are willing to be not tied to the locale, but have a vision of being a pilgrim people, will they accomplish it? To one more scripture, then we'll bring this to a close in one, that last question. John 17, 14 to 19. This new age that we're living in demands a new obedience to God's command of God's people. Friend, let me tell you something. It gets, it gets, the more that it seems, it gets hard to be a pilgrim. How many know what I'm talking about? The longer, you see, like the longer you go, the harder it is to be a pilgrim and keep the pilgrim mentality. I know we got guys right now, people, whatever God said, we just do it. But it depends on what he said, how easy it is to do it. Isn't that right? <laughs> Amen. It's not easy. You know, it, it, it appears like it's easy for Pastor Mitchell to up and lo- move to Australia for this time to do the work there. That's not easy. How many know that? That's a very, very hard thing to do. 
Amen. And for others like uh, that are doing different, it's very hard what we're talking about. Even those that just leave their home to do other things or whatever in giving to God, it has to come from this mentality of a pilgrim people. Yeah. Amen. John 17, we've got to close with this. Our time's up. 14, uh, verses 14. I have given them thy word, and thy word hath... Word, I, have, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because I... Uh, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that they should take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, for thy uh, word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, uh, that they might be sanctified through the truth. He says a new obedience is demanded. As he's not of the world, his eyes were set upon the cross. His will was to do the Father's will. He says if we're going to be the people of God, our will has to do the, be to do the Father's will. And our purpose has to be to see and aim for the purpose of God in the world in which we're living. To be God's elect, our God's chosen, our God's remnant. Let's bow our hearts. Father, thank you for this study. Seal it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.